Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, September the 26th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Today, Pat Leahy and myself are joined by Senator Lynn Ruan, who has just published a pretty remarkable memoir, People Like Me, about her journey from petty criminality and teenage motherhood to becoming a community worker, student activist and a political representative. Lynn, you're very welcome to the programme. I've just been reading your book um, over the last few days. It's terrific. Thank you very much. How's the reaction been? It has been really positive. Um, I think I'm I'm really trying to absorb how positive it's been because I think I spent the past year preparing myself for some sort of negative backlash, I suppose, especially talking about, I mean, when you talk about sexual assault, you pull all sorts of people out of woodwork, you know, that kind of attack you or question you or, or you know, talking about drugs in the way that I do or crime in the way that I do. Um, I expect it to, to, to be a bit of a pushback towards me and... I'm still trying to actually digest the fact that it hasn't. It's been a really positive experience. Um, I was quite worried for it, like my children and my family and where we going to be attacked, where they going to be attacked. So maybe it was positive, actually, that I went to worst case scenario because I, oh, I kind of going, OK, <laughs> this, is, this feels OK. It's not so bad. Because it's very moving and it's very raw and it's very tragic in parts. It is. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I, I think... When I wrote, it's like it's like I was writing in a diary that never nobody was ever going to see. And I've kept journals and diaries since I'm a little kid. Um, writing is something that I've always done. I've always encouraged people um, that are going through a lot of trauma and addiction as well. In all the years that I worked in addiction, to keep um, to to keep journals on a daily basis, to be able to kind of get everything that's in their head out of their head and onto a page, and they can revisit it at a later time. And it's something that's just been part of my life. So I think when I wrote it, as if I was still doing that, as if it was still just a personal thing between me and the page you know, um, and kind of put out of my head originally. Now, what you read in it now is even a trimmed down version of that. So when people say to me now, oh God, you know, some of that's really traumatic or some of that's really scary, I'm kind of going, really? <laughs> you know, God, what would you have thought of the first draft, you know? And, um, but it's, 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 I think, like my editor kept saying to me, Lynn, there's never been a political memoir quite like this. And I kept saying, it's not a political memoir. <laughs> it's like I couldn't get myself into this frame where, I'm I'm going to be seen as a politician who who's releasing a memoir. For me, it was just my life and my experiences. And in fact, I connect. I don't connect as much with the political chapters when you're reading. You can see the shift in writing. You can see the shift in maybe the excitement in me or the the rawness in me. And maybe it's just because this is so new to me. It's, I'm too close to it. I haven't had time to reflect on those political chapters. Yeah, but it does tell the story of a kind of a pretty remarkable personal journey from. Uh, a, a part of Irish society which shows up in certain pages of this newspaper. Uh, people on the margins, really, and confronting all kinds of social issues and social problems on the margins of crime and drug addiction and yeah. various other issues like that, uh, to an entirely different one, the uh, distinguished senator for Trinity College Dublin. They're two very, very different worlds. Yeah, and I think my mission is always to be is to not divide and conquer. And 
I've always done it quite well. Even in mediation growing up between like friends, between families, between, I've always played a role of can we build a bridge here? Is there a way we can both understand um, what side of the fence that we're on so that there's an educational aspect to it? Um, I don't believe that change is created if we continue to um, battle against each other. And I think we can raise our concerns and we can tell people when we think they're wrong in a certain approach or a certain policy. And I think the whole idea of Trinity and the Shannon and Tala for me is um, let's get to know each other so that you stop judging us sometimes. I think sometimes there's misconceptions, there's misunderstanding, there's a lack of awareness how our conditions and our environment um impacts on us and moulds us and maybe, you know, I think sometimes people think our choices look simple from a distance. So people from a distance go, well, why didn't you just go to school or why didn't you just go to college or why, you know, it's like from a distance, them choices look simple. When you're in that, them choices are either not even visible to you, not available to you or are so far out of your reach, they feel that, that that's not for you, you know, so I think the book for me was if you were not from a community like mine, I wanted you to kind of go to think, you know, to have like a go. Oh, I never really looked at it like that, you know. And then if you were from my community, I wanted you to go. God, it's, we're not. It's not supposed to be like this because some people are just like that's just the way it is. This is just our lives. We don't know any better or we don't know any worse. And will Lynn Rowan stop telling us it's all so terrible because we're grand over here? <laughs> do you know what I mean? And then some of them probably do think that it's like stop pointing at the shy Lynn. Right, we're grand. We're getting on with our lives, you know. And I keep poking at it and go, no, no, no. Look at this. Look at this. And I think I wanted them to kind of go. Actually, yeah, it's not supposed like to be like this. And we do have potential and we are just the same as everybody else. And what is keeping us out of that? You know, and mm. I think that that's, you know, it's probably a bit, um, it's probably a bit idealistic or, you know, and but I refuse to be kind of battered down that I can't find ways that other people will understand. And, and we might and we might come to those some of those ideas maybe a, a, a little bit later. But let me ask you, first of all, do you consider yourself a politician? No, <laughs> no? no it's very hard. Um, I, I'm... When I look at it in terms of, and maybe that's because we have this old idea of what a politician is. So maybe we just haven't transitioned into where activists and women from different backgrounds and minority groups are making policy changes. So I know I'm a politician in the sense that I'm actually am creating change. I am amending legislation. Um, I've amended quite a few pieces of legislation like the domestic violence bill. Most things that have affected either me in my life or the people around me in my life. You know, I've just created, which should kick off next month, a whole free maths grind initiative for people in poorer areas. Um, like, So I'm constantly am changing policy and affecting policy. And I do try and work. Obviously, I always have the support of the, the left-leaning politicians within the Shannon. But I think I have had an impact on the other parties within the Shannon, and they have taken on board stuff that I've said in relation to That's the to definition of a politician. And it, it is, yes. So maybe, but when I say, do I feel like a politician, I'm not maybe sure what that's supposed to feel like. I'm not a career politician. It's not something I set out to be. I think I'm a person that just wants to be part of some change and some positive change. And um, whether I did that as a politician or as an activist or working in the homeless sector or the research sector that I used to, you know, I think who I am exists in all them spaces. So I don't think it's the politician bit that defines one me. Of the, one of the several things which, which Lynn's book raises, it seems to me, is that, uh, and this is a statement of the bleeding obvious, is um, that our, our Octus, our Senate and our lower chamber uh, don't necessarily reflect the social composition of the country as a whole. Certain sectors of society are represented better than others. We kind of we kind of pride ourselves in some ways in the fact that we're supposed to be a quote-unquote classless society, but that isn't necessarily reflected in the 
corridors of power, is it? No, I don't think we're a classless society, but our, our, our classes are sometimes, our class system is sometimes difficult to navigate for outsiders. It's certainly the case that communities such as the one that Lynn comes from tend to be underrepresented, or not so much that they're underrepresented, but that their concerns are under uh, underrepresented. Because I know there's, uh, you know, we get the politicians we vote for, for, you know, many and complex reasons, some of uh, some communities tend to vote in very small numbers, but there are politicians in uh, these areas who go and knock on doors and look for uh, and look for support, and there are you know there are other politicians say in in uh, uh, in, in Tala who would claim to be uh, with some justification as close to their their communities uh, as as uh, as Lynn clearly is, but. Uh, it, it, it is certainly true that in the and there's more to making policy over decades than simply individual elected politi- uh, uh, elected politicians. There's a whole array of interests in the state, economic interests and other interests like the professions, like the civil service, like uh, like business, like NGOs uh, uh, to, to, to some extent that wield an influence in our society that makes elect, uh, elected politicians only one part of the policy-making process. You look at the power of, of business lobbying, say, for example, that has been brought to bear on the, uh, on the alcohol bill that is going through the Oireachtas and has been going through uh, the Oireachtas. For, for a very long time far, now. For an, for an example of that. So simply to say that... One of the reasons that that barriers are before people who come from these communities is because there aren't sufficient elected politicians from them is only part of the story. It's an important part of the story, but the array of uh, the architecture of of how our society works and particularly how politics and power works in our societies, that's only a part of it. Although, you know, I, I think of something like... Um the current debate about housing and we had the um, the no confidence motion on Owen Murphy in the, in the Dole last night and one of the things I've been hearing over the last few weeks Lynn is uh, a line which goes somewhere along along the kind of lines of you know even middle class families now you know parents in middle class areas are finding that their children you know can't actually you know get on the housing ladder or rent a place to live so they're stuck with them at 30 and the implication is that well now it's serious Yeah and that's the thing I think um there's a, oh, like homelessness, I've worked in the homeless sector for a long, long time. And I think it is right to say, obviously, that it does, it seeps into so many families now. And it is a middle class issue as well. And it is renters in general. And it is obviously that the, the, how expensive it is to rent and buy within the country that's having a knock on effect. Is that the thing that's going to create the change? You know, maybe it is. But the problem is, when when we do see change in housing policy in this country, the people that were in a bad situation before the crisis will be continue to be during the crisis and after the crisis. You know what I mean? So you'll continue to build social housing, but you'll still have a homeless population. So some of the men that I've worked with are homeless 20, 30, 40 years. And they are living the end of their days, the end of their life with everything from Huntington's disease to heart disease um, in a hostel, in wet hostels where you drink and you're allowed to consume drink because it keeps them, you know, stops them, it's harm reduction. Um, but they're coming straight out of hospital, say, and straight into the homeless sector, um, straight into their back into their hostel bed. And they might have had like um, heart surgery 
and you've drunk people knocking on the door to see how they are while they're trying to recover. And they've always existed. You know, them hostels have always existed and, you know, they'll still be there, you know, even after, you know, and I think that that's something that kind of um, always concerned me was that there was still this group that we're still not talking about now that need nursing home care and stuff, you know, and the worst, I suppose the worst part of it is women and, and children. And I think middle class people will somewhat still have a safety net if the parents have their own home. They should definitely be able to buy and build their own lives. I'm not in one second saying. But if you're in that situation where you're being evicted or you're being put out from from under a roof and your only option is 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 a hotel or is the, the self-accommodation. I have one family at the minute who are in self-accommodation and they've been sent from all sides of Dublin to Carlow. Their child has now missed, last year, missed more than 20 days of the allocated school before you get brought to court, <laughs> like, you know. So they'll probably be punished for their child not receiving an education for something that they can't even control because their, their house they were renting went on fire. Mm. And they ended up homeless, you know, so you've you've a huge situation, I think, with women and children. And I think that's that has been a continuation of how women and children have always been seen. And that frame, you know, when we look at single mothers, we talk about single mothers in hotel rooms, you know, as if being a single mother is the problem. So it's somehow it's framed in a way that people go to think, well, oh, so the, pro- the, 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 the solution here is if they were family units, they would be better. Or if they, you know, they weren't a single parent when it's not, it's the resources and the structures and, you know, society and, and the housing market not facilitating them to be able to to live and be happy as, as single parents, you know. But um, I think like definitely when it when it when it affects the people that have a voice and have a platform, is when you will see it explode more. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. I think if you have a platform and you have a voice and this, even if you haven't been affected by it and you're looking at it, and I think it's like that would take back the city and people trying to ridicule them for being like Trinity students and this and that. I'm sorry, if you care about the issue and you want to do something about it, I don't care what... <laughs> What background you're from? You know what I mean? I don't care if you're a Trinity student or if you're a lone parent from Tala. We all should be uprising against how we're being treated and we all are being affected by that. I'm still I still have with me Malik. I'm a senator that still lives with our man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because I can't afford to get a mortgage. You know? But But then in terms of what kind of solutions there would be to that part, there's an interesting spat between two members of the government over the last well, few days. It was only finally resolved. Well, well, do. What do you have to say about that? Just so our listeners know, <laughs> Catherine Byrne was in dispute with the, with, with, with the Minister Owen Murphy about a specific, a specific development in, 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 in Chicor. It's kind of an area that you know. St. Right, Michael's Estate site, yeah. 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 And, and, and Well, I tell you what. She, she just, just to just explain context yeah. to the listeners in case they're, they're unfamiliar with it before you come in on that. She, uh, uh, she attended the launch of, mm-hmm. um, uh, Owen Murphy, the housing minister, was presiding over the launch of a new scheme there. It was going to have 470 homes, a mix, mix of various different types of social housing, including, uh, cost rent, what they call cost rental, whereby the, the, uh, properties would be made available to people to rent at the cost that they, they, they call, uh, they, they, they yeah. took to build. So therefore, on a cheaper basis. And, uh, Catherine Byrne, who's a junior minister at the Department of Health, um, a party colleague of, uh, of Owen Murphy got up. She was not intended to be a speaker, but she got up and expressed opposition to the, uh, uh to the the scheme that has gone on on the basis of on, on the basis that it wasn't right for the the area that um, they needed people who would own their own homes to some degree uh, that it, the area needed facilities before this housing housing was built and so forth um, pretty basic uh, kind of lo- the sort of local objections 
that you get to all housing schemes, uh, really, particularly social housing schemes for people who don't want a massive development to go in uh, next door to them um, uh, or whatever. Anyway, that row was bubbled under and came to a head yesterday. um, There was a no-confidence motion in Owen Murphy, which um, uh, Catherine Byrne indicated that she would not be in a position uh, to vote confidence in uh, the Taoiseach threatened to fire her if she did that. And after a series of meetings between Mr. Murphy and, uh, and Catherine Byrne and ultimately the Taoiseach and, uh, and, and um, Catherine Byrne yesterday, she issued a statement at about nine o'clock last night or just before the nine o'clock news, an hour before the vote, saying that she would, uh, that, that she was satisfied there'd be further development in the community and that she would vote confidence, which she duly did. A minor drama, to be said. I don't think the world... Uh, I, 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 don't, I, don't think, I don't think the world drama. was on tenter. Anyway, that's the context. Catherine Byrne was going to remain in the government. What was, what's actually going on there around that development? Because it might it's, be it's, helpful it's not to... Go, it's not new, you know. I think Catherine being... And I was disappointed because I've watched Catherine's somewhat grow in her portfolio. I mean, you know, I remember the days when Catherine marched against the local drugs project being opening up in her community and I've watched her grow into that role and, go, you know, really own it and understand it and get to know it. So I really thought maybe there was that evolution of thought in terms of, you know, society and, and vulnerable people being cared for and looked after within their own communities would also filter into them living within their own communities, right? So the regeneration theme for St. Michael's Estate has been in position for years. They have worked so hard. I watched the community workers who are from that community and the surrounding communities. So... Dolphin, Rialto, Bluebell, the Canal Communities Local Drugs Task Force kind of region. And they have worked, and I watched them be so absolutely devastated when each PPP fell through while they were waiting. They, some of them families hung around there in the midst of, you know, the, their conditions that they were living in being awful on the promise that these houses were going to be built on that site and then them not. And then them families hanging around for 10, 15 years when they could have been housed elsewhere, but they were so determined to stay together as a community and to be able to regenerate that site. And the workers there, like John Bissett, like Rita Fagan, and everybody that has supported them, Rory Hearn at one stage would have been involved further down in the regeneration at Dolphin House. They know what they're doing. John Bissett wrote a book, actually a good book on the PPPs and his experience between Michael's estate and the regeneration and everything that happened that kept making it fall apart and the community ended up fragmented. So Owen Morphy, to my amazement, goes and listens and looks at the cost rental model, which is an amazing opportunity for that community to get what they need, to have some of those community members stay within their own community. They will never be able to afford to buy. And what Catherine wants is homeowners. She wa- and she'll say affordable homes, but affordable homes is not affordable for the people that were originally from that community and grew up two and three generations. So what she means is better off people. Better off people, them. yes. And that community is is really obsessed. So you have one side, I think Catherine wanted to back the whole, and I could be corrected, I can be corrected on this, because St. Pat's originally were bid, bidding for that site. You know, the football yeah. thing. So I think they were originally, so that would have been more business. So I think she was more sold on the idea of business. Of being a, on of a private site. development with private apartments yes, or whatever it might rather be. rather than um, the, 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 the social housing aspect. But is she also representing a local view? Well, of course she is, but you have to look at the other people that are ever voted in there. It's a very liberal constituency, and they're splitting votes. You've, you know, you've Angus O'Snuddick, but you've you've Breed Smith and you've Joan Collins, and you, so they are splitting that liberal vote. So she would be picking up 
the the remnants of of a vote that would be more maybe business led or Fianna Gael kind of view. What do you think of? I was listening to. I was whether I was looking at social media reaction to some of that debate in the in the in the Dáil yesterday, and some people were criticising Fine Gael for the current government policy, which has been around in principle for a very long time, which is we're getting away from the huge council estates that were built in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties because they are a contributory factor to social problems, the kind of social problems some of which you wrote about in your book, um, and that we want a more mixed type development. But there's sort of a pushback on that saying that Fine Gael are describing those estates as 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 ghettos. And they weren't necessarily ghettos. They were grand places for people to grow up with. And when there were social problems, it wasn't just because they were built as council estates. Where does... I mean, there is an argument for, for, for mixing people up better, isn't oh, there? Of I course mean, there is. I, I, of course it is. I mean, you know, I always talked about not being able to, to grow up and point to people from different professions, you know, living on my road so that you know that you can access that. But the problems of inequality and the problems of reinforcing that inequality through policy don't exist just because you build a bunch of houses. I mean, there's an array of different policies that will impact people's situation more than just the house that you build. You know, so having your your basic safety and security met is when you can start being socially responsible, you know. So having an adequate education, you know, having um, the resources within the local schools, having the U projects, when all of those housing estates were first built, the resources in terms of any sort of, um, you know, youth clubs or initiatives, they were put in so much later. But there's housing, other housing housing estates all over the country that don't have any social issues. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there is, like I know plenty of people that grew up in social housing from like Malahide and Donna Bay and I mean they were social housing. So it's like what is the difference and it's about maybe it is that mixture of the professionals um, you know having Because West Tala and places like that were very isolated from everywhere else both in terms yes. of jobs and even the way that they were even the way that they were built they were isolated weren't they? You know yeah. they were specifically put a long way out even from any facilities at all and then it was years before those facilities were built. Yeah it was and then it's it's they took like I mean, we we came from Ballymun, so we, I was in Ballymun Flats, and um, a lot of people were housed out, like so from Crumlin, and it's nearly like you know the planning of that. You know what I mean? So you put all these new families isolated away from their own communities into this new community without any sort of like planning of of how you progress them, mm. like the you know even as, in relation to sports and employment opportunities. Like right now, Talent is fairly fairly built up and you do have the industrial estates and stuff, but you wouldn't have had any any of that. Like I remember having to get a bus um, to Kilimane, um, which would have been about like a 20 minute bus ride for me ma to be able to get, say, some shopping and stuff. You know what I mean? So obviously it's it's, it's completely built up now. But like say one of the the, the, the factories say that employed a lot of local people in, in Killinarden especially. My mum was the manager there and she hired all local people. When they went bust then there was people there that worked for 10, 15 years and so they were back in the same position. So when you don't have transferable skills so you, you spend 15 years making thermostats in a Japanese company there's nowhere really that you can transfer that to and that's the problem as well. So it's about right now the education system I believe in, 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 in desk schools um, is reinforcing uh, inequality as well. So, because how? Because yeah. the aspirations. So the schools are saying, you know, oh, it's great we've got so many kids to leave insert, which is great. But that's the end point. 
So it's like, no, we're trying to move on from that now. You know, that's not the end point. It's like, how do we progress kids beyond that? And education of the whole family is really important for me in, in, in working class communities, right, to be able to facilitate that because obviously the school can facilitate it on its own, you know, but they need to stop seeing the figures of kids sitting that sitting their leaving cert as what makes them have done their job. I think they need to focus more on how many they've progressed into toward level education or community education or apprenticeship or whatever that may be. But there's one way to do that, not to have more more mixed communities and therefore more mixed schools in which you have different sets of aspirations. Of course, of course. But the thing is, the schools then are kind of putting kids in work, not really putting any effort into their like work experience programmes and stuff. And like, you know, everyone's in the local hairdressers, the local factory, the local shop, the local pub, and that's their work experience, right? So the schools are so under-resourced, they're not being ambitious about how, who they link in with. So right now I've linked Killinarden Community School up with the Department of Foreign Affairs. And they had their transition years come in there and complete their internship programme there. I have another kid from Jobstown who went to Brezzy Studio in Camden Street because he has an interest in music. So the social connections. So the rest of society need to make it better because they all ask, what can they do? People ring me and email me from every walk of life, from every profession and say, what can I do? And I'm saying, pick a school, pick somewhere that you can link with and because the financial capital is only one part it's the social capital and the social ties you know so now I have doctors who are willing to take kids on I have and I know that's only one small bit because I mean you don't want to just ferry them around a doctor surgery for a week and think then they're going to want to be a doctor obviously that has to be met then with the school then continuing to build relationships with partnerships with the rest of society to be able to progress kids really and the whole area of grinds and leave insert and get rid of the leave insert just to come back to the <laughs> just throw that <laughs> in not? at the end there rid of it why not thanks for that um, <laughs> just to come back to the housing thing Pat because I think there's a not an emerging division that's been there for quite a while but as I say the kind of the received wisdom of the current government and probably the government before it was more mixed development less standalone you know separation between you know council housing on the one hand and private housing on the other but partly because of the crisis and partly maybe for you know, reasons of ideology. There's a kind of pushback against that at the moment, which says that if we're going to actually, uh, if we're going to address this problem, the state's going to have to get up and build tens of thousands of uh, of, of state houses. Really, yeah, state and funded houses. There might be when, some mix of affordable homes and what used to be called council houses, and maybe voluntary organisations of one sort or another. And when uh, when Simon Coveney was housing minister, this is one of the things he used to talk about. In fact, I seem to recall him talking about it with us in this uh, uh, in this in this studio at considerable length uh, one morning about how he wouldn't preside over a system whereby you know these huge public housing ghettos were uh, were built separated from uh, from the rest of society and he cited failures uh, in that regard in the past I hear that much less now I think the crisis has developed and the shortage of housing has developed to such an extent that there's a much more of a push on for just get it built however with the correct sort of models I think that it is it is clearly not just people uh, uh, it's not just people who would go into council housing are in need of housing because as we discussed earlier the uh, the 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 shortage of housing is affecting people right throughout society in fact it's probably as much a generational 
division as it is a class division uh, in it. So Although I the reality that is that if you, extent, that into, if, if you itself. pump housing into any form, any part of the market, for example, if you made a lot of, you know, what you, a lot of council housing available, that would take the pressure off other parts of the market as well and possibly drive of course. down prices. Yeah, yeah, you know, of so course. it's not just yeah. a question of it, of, of it just serving one, one part of the population. But there is this proposal now, uh, which, you know, large amounts of state land are going to be made available um, for development. And there's some criticism of the fact that those are going to be made available largely to private developers. Yeah, this is under the government's uh, the, the the government's new body that was announced. I mean, it isn't set up yet; won't be set up for uh, for some time. I mean, if you talk to the local authorities, though, what they would say is that you know the availability of land isn't a massive problem. There are there's lots of land available. It's the uh, the the bureaucratic processes of getting approval for release of money, the securing of planning permission, the bringing of stakeholders on board, which all takes time, seems to me to take inordinate amounts of time. But I don't think that the uh, at the Land Development Commission will be the game changer that, uh, that some people in government are proclaiming, uh, proclaiming it as. To a, to, a, to a certain extent, this problem will only be solved over time. Now, that period of time can be shortened probably by government initiative. But as we've discussed in this studio many times, houses cannot be magicked into fresh air by government fiat. Yeah, but there's also um, there's also thousands of empty houses there with nobody in them. Do you know what I mean? So they don't even need to be magicked. They just need to be um, renovated. You know, they just need to be kitted out. They just need to be given out. I drive around my own estate all the time and you have plenty of people from my estate living in hotels. They contact me all the time. I mean, they would be only delighted to know that in one month, two months, three months time that that house is going to be reno- renovated and they will be taken out of the hotel. Like I have one young girl um, and it's abuse. Like it's it's the state is abusing them and I think it's, it's gaslighting them in a way by telling them that everything's going to be all right and convincing them. You know, when you've won, you've won mother from around the back from me who contacted me to say like my child has gone past one and I can't put them on solid food because we don't have anywhere to make the salt like I'm literally giving my child bottles still like you know the child would end up mal- malnourished she again would have social services come in and you know take her child away from that but the state is facilitating this abuse of, of children in a sense in terms of their milestones and their progression through life and their access to education and housing you know and I think it, it is ideological I think it's group think I think Fianna Gael are locked in group think where they're all telling each other that this is a great plan and they're not letting the outside vices in to go. Actually, it's not. They're not letting the housing experts. Like, I mean, you have Michael Taft, you have Rory Hearn, you have lots of people that have positive contributions to make to this that are not in that group think space and they should be part of the conversations. You know, nothing is ever achieved from group think. You know, you don't you don't understand the full complexities of an issue or how the communities are going to be affected, affected unless you let the people in that have been working on the ground on this for a long time and I just don't think they're letting people in. Let's have a listen to what Owen Murphy had to say for himself because the motion of confidence was in him last night. Housing supply is going up but families will unfortunately and tragically, continue to present to homeless services because we do not have enough homes yet. We are still catching up, but we are catching up. And until we have caught up, we'll put in place every support and every care that is necessary for any family or individual at risk of entering emergency accommodation or who actually does enter into emergency accommodation. I am the Minister for Housing. I am responsible for fixing this crisis piece by piece, and it is complex. 
Not everything has worked out like we hoped it would. For example, the repair and lease scheme. But there are other initiatives that have worked out better. Some people want people to believe that this crisis, which is more than a decade in the making, could be solved in the 16 months since I came into office. They want people to believe that if they were in government, this crisis would be solved overnight. That is dishonest and it is wrong. And if they worked every single day on this crisis, meeting all of the people who have been so badly hurt by it, and if they were the ones responsible for actually fixing it, they would not be so deceitful, Ken Corla. They would not be so deceitful to the people. That's Owen Murphy sounding very emotional there. Yeah, maybe like his brother in an acting role, I'm not sure. Really? You think uh, there's a lot of acting there? Well, I don't know. I think there's a lack of understanding. I'm not going to say... I think it's cruel for me to say that. I think... Do I think that the likes of Owen Murphy is a bad person? He just doesn't care. No, I don't. I don't think that. Do I think he gets it? No, I don't think he gets it. And I think you need to spend more time close to the issue to understand it, you know. And I think his whole portfolio, every second of his day should be spent on this, you know. Any other part of his portfolio should be handed over elsewhere. They should be looking at, you know, regulation of of Airbnb. There's so many other things we could be doing in the interim while they're having problems with the, the mass bills. You know, there's other areas that if they just sit around the table, 10 hours a day because that's what they need to do. They can't, you know, they can't be going off doing other parts of their job. They need to like look at the remit that he has within his portfolio and literally only have him focusing on housing and having a look at the Airbnb system and some of the other areas um, and evictions, literally making evictions illegal until the crisis is dealt with. I think there's something in what Lynn says about the ridiculous array of uh, issues that are in his portfolio. It's the old department of the environment, which itself was this great kind of a mix of grab bag. Yeah. Uh, catch all department. Now they've called it now the Department of Housing and Local Government. But he's responsible. Uh, he, 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 you know, people will have seen him, you know, during the shutdowns because of the storm. So he's responsible for emergency services, he's responsible for water supply, he's responsible for local government, he's responsible for elections and referenda. It's it's um, it's too big of a department. It's uh, it, it, it has long been regarded in within government circles by successive poli- politicians as a bit of a uh, as a bit of a graveyard of political careers because of the nature of it. It was Phil Hogan was in there who introduced water charges. It's the department that gave us e-voting uh, uh, back, back a million years ago. And I think there is something in that that there is, uh, there, there, there is a case for a, de- a minister, a cabinet minister devoted singularly to housing. I now I would imagine that it probably consumes a lot of his time yeah. most of his day every day on this point but he still has other responsibilities yeah and i think i think if we call a national emergency on it and if the government actually calls a national emergency on it they've no choice then but to focus their energy be you know what i mean when when a national emergency is called on something it will take all of his time or else they go away and they split up his portfolio does that actually make a difference there is talk about it being declared about a motion to declare it a national emergency on it's on the agenda i i, I believe that does that make any difference to anything there 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 is there is a motion i was making the point in a piece in uh, the paper this morning that while he got over predictably got over last night i think this is you know his his political problems with this issue and the government's political problems with this issue don't uh, uh, certainly don't end here there's another motion in the doll next week mm-hmm. in a way 
a more constructive motion. It's agreed with uh, cross-party support. I'm not sure what Fianna Fáil are going to do, and that would be important. But uh, but other than that, there's cross-party support. But it's also supported by the uh, by all the trade unions, by the, by Congress of trade unions, by a range of NGOs, uh, by a range of housing charities. And that there'll be a demonstration outside the door when the, the uh, uh, when is when is uh, when when it's going on, and uh, and it asks for housing to be declared a national emergency. It talks about a constitutional right for housing. I mean, that's a much more longer-term thing. You could argue about the the, uh, the 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 efficacy of that, but has specific policy measures in. That it requires uh, the government to take. Now, the government can ignore private members' motions. It has done so in the past, but I think it piles the pressure on government for a chain for changes in policy. And there's no, I think, one single change that is going to solve the housing crisis in the morning. But I think the pressure for individual aspects of policy well, There are a couple change. of things. I mean, Lynn has they, mentioned Airbnb. The minister Precisely, himself yeah. in the clip we heard talked about how the, uh, the the renovation scheme has just failed dismally so clearly. There's things that... Of course, yeah. yeah. And, I think, and I think a number of those will be cited next week and I think the pressure for the government to adopt them uh, will continue to build. I, I've got to ask you, Lynn, because, I mean, your book... Very specifically, towards the end, you talk you talk about the issue of class in Ireland mm. and how that pertains to the way you think about your own story and about your 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 politics. So obviously, this posh boy tag <laughs> uh, seems to have stuck or rankled to some extent, and that's all about class. What do you think about that? Well, I think, and I think it was it was Pat that wrote um, in uh, his article about reverse snobbery or reverse classism. I think there's no such thing. There's no such thing as reverse sexism. There's no such thing as reverse racism because one that would require the oppression of the other. You know what I mean? The racism, the sexism, the classism. It's one group um, oppressing through their policy or through their initiatives the other where their, their lives are negatively affected. So if we call Owen Murphy a posh boy, you know, which I don't, you know what I mean? I think there's plenty of posh buyers that can do very good jobs. Like, you know what I mean? It's not as if, you know, so it's, that wouldn't be my way of doing things. But it doesn't have a negative impact on him. You know, there is people undermining his understanding of it or, you know, if he was from a different class, would he still get that? I think if, if you're not doing the job that people want you to do, it doesn't matter what background you're from, you're going to get it in the neck. You know, so the posh buy is probably just an easy an easy tag for, for people to put on it. Although the implicit argument in it is that it is because, and you've kind of said it already here, is that because of his own cultural, social background, that he doesn't understand uh, the he doesn't understand where the problem where the problem is really being felt the most among the people who where it's being felt. The yeah, most. and it's probably because the relationship and being too close to you know being able to buy your own home and you know having maybe landlords being closer to you in your circle. Like at the end of the day, you're a product of your surroundings. You know, so the information you take in around you can often inform how you see things and view things. But it's about having an open mind that those people around you that you trust or that you trust yourself, you think you know what the way to go is. You always have to have an open mind saying, I need to listen to other views here and I need to work with other people to make sure I'm doing the right thing. So you can't let ego get in the way, like having an ego that I'm doing the right job. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to fix this problem, you know, because I I think you have to be humble a bit and go, you know what? 
you know, there's experts out here on this. I need to have them part of this. Can I ask you one other, one other thing about that? No, I mean, sorry, I oh, sorry it, go ahead, Pat. Just to yeah. make the, the, the point, I, um, I, I disagree slightly with, with what Lynn says, that it has no effect on him. I actually think it's quite an effective political stick to beat Owen Murphy with by his, uh, by his political opponents to say he's a posh boy and therefore doesn't understand the, uh, the housing thing. I mean, nobody, you know, would in, 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 in the, you know, the norms of our political discourse, nobody would dare have a go at Lynn over her accent, yet people tease and slag and beat Owen Murphy because of his accent, oh, or because of his but I do. background. And I think that that I, I think that that does damage him politically. His ego, or him, his position in life. He's not going to lose his home. He's going to have a career. He's an educated man. So someone calling him a posh boy doesn't take away his chances in life. Right. Where when class is directed at us, we are on the back foot. We don't have our basic needs met. So the effect is a personal one. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily a life change. Yeah, I understand. But I think in, kick in, up in the realm of politics. No, like I think, I, think, I think we should judge him on the job that he does. I don't think it should be about anyone's background. I don't. And I know lots of great people from all sorts of backgrounds that do amazing jobs. So I don't think someone's background necessarily. And I think the problem is that maybe he might understand there's a crisis and he, and he feels he knows what to do to fix that. But maybe people feel there's a disconnect between him understanding what people are experiencing in that and just how angry and desperate that they are and there's a, there's 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 maybe something that's stopping that empathy come across between the people that are so badly affected and him in his portfolio you know so but people are going to be angry till this is sorted i don't i don't think it matters who's going to be in that position i want to ask you one other one one other related question on this traditionally and pat laid out at the laid out at the start you know the the different interests which are at play in the in the political sphere in Ireland or indeed in any country. And they include things like business and money is important and different sectoral interests. And traditionally for people who were, let's say, had got the shorter end of the stick in a given society who ended, ended up more, than, or more often than not on the left side of the spectrum, the way in which they addressed their lack of wealth or lack of, lack of obvious power was through... Uh, ideas like solidarity, trade unions, uh, a large political party, the fact that they represented a large number of people, so mobilising those people to get out to vote. But when I look at, say, that sort of political dispensation in Ireland at the moment, you see a very, very fractured landscape on the left. You see a lot of independents like like yourself. You see quite a few small parties and one medium-sized party, I suppose, if you include if you include Sinn Féin. It's not really the best way to go about achieving some of the objectives that, that you're interested in, is it? No, it's not. And I think me being an independent is probably not either. You know what I mean? Ah, like, we're getting around to the question that I wanted to ask. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I think obviously if I'm looking at bigger social change, you know, but but right now and I don't think ever, um, I, I, I'm not good of a compromise. I have my views. I like to support other parties. And I mean, I, I even, I've even got my name on a Fianna Gael piece of legislation that passed through the Shannon. Do you know what I mean? So I think sometimes different parties will have different things that I'm interested in and I don't want to be restricted in how I can work on them. So right now for me is, do I believe that we have, the left are going to get fully into position just yet in terms of being able to meet the needs and, and experiences of the people that I represent and I talk about. Um, no. And in that meantime, I see my role as looking at legislation as it's coming through that's going to be passed into law anyway. Do I want to oppose it for the sake of opposing it? Or do I want to try and class proof it 
uh, as I go along, you know, and I have done that with several pieces of legislation, you know, and if there is a big left wing movement and I look and I go, actually, do you know what, we, we could, you know, get more numbers or we could, you know, maybe I'll, I'll reevaluate that later. But I want to be in a position right now not to be whipped by a party so that I can actually work with the legislation that is going to become law. Right. I want to hear Pat's question. Will you run for the door? No. Never. I'd be bound by a constituency and I think a lot of this stuff, like I would become too localised and I think right now everything that I've worked on has been so, has been so national. I think the Shannon obviously gets a bit of a bad rap that it's not doing that but if politi- uh, if journalists like yourself Pat paid more attention to it right and celebrated its successes that, that maybe that view would be changed but, but nobody pays attention you know, to it. as a student of politics <laughs> you know that the power resides in the executive answerable to the door. That's but, where it is. But, and for the sort of large scale social change yeah. and the rebalancing of those kind of power interests in society that you talk about, you need a, a, a large left. Well, this is how it's yeah. happened everywhere else. Yeah. You need a large left wing party, which could only happen in this country if there is uh, uh, some sort of an amalgamation on the left. And you need... Uh, politicians to lead that and that's not going to happen in the Senate Well you have if you if you actually done statistics right, in the past since we were elected um, in, in the 2016 term and look at how many amendments and policy changes have happened because of the civil engagement group compared to amendments won in the Dáil I would say we've done better I, I, so I know you guys yourself and Alice Mary Higgins and a gang. So we are impacting legislation. Yes, you are. But actually, but we for can the still, sort yeah, of... But for the big, for wider the movement. The bigger change, yeah. you, that, will, that will only happen in the doll. It will only happen if there's a large movement. Well, I think it will happen in civil society more than it will happen in the doll. I think well, that may be a change in politics, yeah. which people have remarked yeah. in other countries, yeah. countries too. But uh, it's great to hear defence of the Senate because it's not something we hear very, hear, hear very often. I've got one really quick question to you, Pat, before we go. I walked past my first presidential election poster today for Leon Arida. Uh, why does it not say Sinn Féin on it? Uh, well, I, I suppose you'd be better uh, able to answer that question yourself once we get her in here, presumably because she thinks that she uh, can, that, that putting Sinn Féin on her poster would limit her appeal. Sinn Féin are at, what, late teens, early 20s uh, in the polls. If she's going to have an impact, she needs to extend beyond that. Um, does seem slightly dishonest, I would have thought, not to have Sinn Féin on her posters. Are you, gonna, are you supporting anybody in the, in the I'll be contest? fully supporting Michael D. Higgins. All right, you heard that first. Your first, our first, our first endorsement of, first of many on this podcast. Lynn Rand, thanks very much for coming in today. Thanks Thank also you. to Pat. And that's it from us this week. Thanks to our producer Declan Conlon and our engineer JJ Vernon. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. You can mail me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com and your views are always extremely welcome. You can also find me on Twitter. But until the next time, thanks very much for listening.